0: Times we have to put a lot of thought and a lot of prayer and a lot of meditation into what we're going to preach about come Sunday morning, and study on it and try to get some new something exciting, something that will hold everybody's attention. If you would uh, on what we're going to preach, but there are a few days in the, the yearly calendar that it's pretty much automatic: Easter, Christmas, and of course. Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to you and this morning we're going to talk about mothers are special. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis the third chapter we're going to talk about the very first mother and build the history of motherhood if you would through the scriptures and see where God would have us to deal with Mother's Day 2022. While you're turning we'll look to God in prayer. Father thank you again. For all you do for your people help us lord to be what we should be for you and guide us in a special way to be the people you've called us to be and be for the mothers those that are our mothers father uh, give them a a pat on the back if you would for what they've done in raising children or in the process of raising them that father uh, or even grandmothers Uh, father we pray that you'll just bless there. But help us to be mindful of the responsibility the Word of God has given us as we look to mothers and we look to that portion of life that needs to be lived out in our generation. So guide us, we pray, in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the third chapter of Genesis, God has just uh, created everything is what we see in the world today. Uh, He took him... A week to do it, well, six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. So here we find in human history, God was pleased with his creation. And basically, he put Adam and Eve, well, Adam especially, in charge of everything in the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis. And here we find in chapter three that Adam and Eve were just, just cruising through the Garden of Eden. I, in my mind, have tried to see what it would have been like to live in the Garden of Eden. I mean, God just, when God does things, he does it right. Amen? Every The Scripture said everything was there, that man needed everything. Anything that happened there, it was taken care of. Everything was as it should be according to, to the will of God. Then God made Adam. God took, uh, put him to sleep one day because he looked kind of lonely, pitiful, and he took a rib out of him. And with that rib, he created a woman. Amen? So guys, when you get a pain in the side, that's from where God took that rib out to make your wife for you. Amen? That's where that comes from. So Uh, he made Adam and Eve he made a helpmeet for her and uh, actually in verse number 20 of what we're going to read in the third chapter he said she is the mother of all living so he named her Eve that's what that word means uh, in the time that Adam put that forward so I want to begin in the third chapter and of course we're breaking into the middle of this Um, those of you that know the background adam and eve went to the tree they looked at it smelled it touched it uh, and god told them not to and they actually even partook of the fruit of that tree now it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil so um, if you're afraid to eat apples because you're afraid it's the original sin um, it was not an apple tree let me just clear you of all that it wasn't a peach or a pear It wasn't any kind of what you and I would call fruit today, but it was something that they took and ate of. And I don't even know if the fruit of it, you know when you think about it, it could have just been leaves huh? or blossoms. I don't know what they ate because I don't know the maturity of the tree or what was growing on it, but they did partake of it. In the disobedience of even going there and touching it and handling and eating of it, God had to draw a line in the sand. He told them not to, and they did. That's disobedience. We're going to look into that a little bit. And with that in mind, we're going to break in in verse uh, number 9. It says, And God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Is there anywhere you can go where God can't find you? Did God know where Adam was? Uh, I think he did. And so uh, he called to him and said, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. Now, see, everybody thinks God came down and walked like me and you. A man in the garden can walking. walk in. His voice came down and walked in the garden. Did you read that? It was his voice. I heard your voice. I didn't hear your footprints. I didn't hear you growling. I heard your voice. Amen? And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself said, Who told you you was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? How did God know he ate of the tree already? But he asked him because he wanted him to confess. Did you eat of the tree whereof I commanded that yet thou should not eat? And the man said, The woman who thou gavest to me with me, she gave me of the tree and the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent. He beguiled me, and I did eat. It and the Lord God said unto the serpent, How thou, thou hast done this. Thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. And on my belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat. Days of thy life, and I will put enmity between uh, thee and the woman, and between her seed and thy seed. Amen. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire. Be thy husband, and rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of the woman, has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. special. No doubt about it. Everybody has one. Hmm. That's pretty cool. In our text, we find Adam and Eve, if you would, found out by God they were guilty of the disobedience that they had taken part in of eating of the tree that he said not to eat of. Amen? God's voice came down in the pool today there in verse 8, called out to Adam. Adam, verse number nine. And in the next few verses, it are revealed between Adam and Eve and God, namely what we call the first sin. A lot of people call it the original sin. I like to use that term, even though it fits, even though it may be what you say biblical, But I have, had, have heard a lot of preaching about what is called is I don't believe really biblical. And I don't think uh, it should be used in that term in my way of thinking. But when I think of thinking up So watch. You- i sure. City. Look in the mirror, spiritually speaking, and see the problem. Correct it as soon as possible. The worst thing you can do at that point is rely on blaming anyone else even if they were deceptive in their dealings with you. Blaming someone else for something you do just prolongs the inevitable. But you have to stand before God and face the piper and face the truth. Amen? Well, in verse 14, because of his place, well, because of what has taken place, God even placed a curse on the serpent. That curse is still in place. That's an eternal curse. Because he tricked, if you would, or deceived Adam and Eve, the devil now has no promise of ever seeing inside heaven. I know there are people that say he used to be in heaven and got kicked out. Never happened, never did. Uh, And I can prove it by Scripture, but that's three or four more lessons down the road somewhere. But there is an eternal curse that's still in place today. That curse now, the scripture says in verse 14, is not between the woman and the serpent. It's between her seed and his seed. Now her seed there is a prophecy revealing that God at this point knew man would need redemption from the sin of disobedience that he has committed. That is the prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. Her seed in generations to come will lead to Jesus Christ coming into this world and living the life, dying on the cross for your sins and mine, being buried, rising again the third day, which we just talked about on Easter, and ascending back to heaven to be on the right hand of the throne of glory, that's what that scripture is about. It's they so, so somebody wants to tell you about her seed, and his seed, and having another fight and all that. And well, just take it, mark it down. That is a prophecy of Jesus Christ coming. Amen. So then we look at verse. Well, that's you can really see it in verse 15. Then in verse 16, God turns his attention to Eve and tells her. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in conception. Hmm. So she actually did pass on something, if you would, to all women. Now, I don't know, and I can't speak for God. At that point, no woman had ever given birth. So I don't know what God had for a plan as far as populating this world, but I know what he did in the animal kingdom. They were to reproduce reproduce, and multiply and fill the earth. And they've done a pretty good job of it. Amen. And everything that this earth needs, God provided. Now, I don't know if he had a way of reproducing man and women outside of childbirth or not. We don't have anywhere of knowing that because we only see what actually took place from that fact coming forward but he did promise her now, i don't know if he had a way of having a, a woman have birth without pain or not i hear it's pretty easy i've never been through it but i i think it's just light and trivial right? that's what i hear and and besides with all of our modern modern medicine haven't they got some way of having a baby without pain and that there any no not even six thousand years later they haven't got that down pat yet well that's because god said he was going to greatly multiply not add adds too too slow he's going to multiply amen instead of six plus six he's going six times six that's a whole lot more amen So he's going to multiply thy sorrow in conception. Well, and there's a few things that he tells her there in verse number 16 uh, that he's going to do. He says, I'm going to multiply it in conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Thy desire shall be to thy husband. And he shall rule over thee. Okay? Now, I know. You can say, well, my husband ain't going to rule over me. Well, I've seen marriages that way. I understand. But he's talking to Eve here specifically. Amen? And he tells her those three things. And that is, if you would, Eve's punishment for the original sin that you want to talk about here in this particular chapter. Well, that's not fair that he would punish her that way when Adam was standing right there when she took the fruit and offered it to him. He didn't say, oh, no, I can't take of that because God told me not to. You know what he did? He was just as gullible to what Eve offered him as Eve was gullible when the serpent offered it to her. So in verse 17 through 19, we find that God tells Adam of the difficulties he's going to expect for the actions he's taken. And as we've said earlier, we get to verse 20, where Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she's the mother of all living. Amen. All of us can point back to our great, 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 many times great grandma Eve, because everybody that has come into this world has a genealogy line. Back to Eve. You know, in the Old Testament, genealogy was very important to those people. Let me tell you how the wacko that appears to me. We all came from Eve. So if you chase your genealogy far enough, we all came from Adam and Eve. Is that right? Huh. And yet some people were Jews, some Gentiles, some here, you know. So the only way they could get to those factions or fighting forces that they fought in the Old Testament and the battles they had was because they turned their back on God and walked away from God. Amen? So that's what we need to understand. So why are we fighting and fussing now? All over the world there's fighting in wars and whatnot, right? And we're all brothers and sisters. Can't we get along? Well, evidently not. Amen. At this point, Adam and me, Eve must have sat down in the corner of the garden and said to themselves, what have we done? Then they probably looked up at one another and asked the question, what are we going to do now? Adam probably looked at Eve and said, I guess we'll just raise a little cane. So in chapter 4, verse 1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. I imagine when that man was born, he wasn't a man, it was a child, but he's referred to as as their son. Uh, Here we find that she got to experience firsthand all the things that God promised her in childbearing. The pain, the discomfort, that she couldn't get a, what do they call them, a block or uh, any kind of medication. Uh, She had to just uh, bite her upper lip or whatever and grin and bear it because it's coming. And she couldn't even say, well, I'm sorry, I wish I didn't have it. Too late. Once it happens, it happens all the way. Amen. They went on, and of course, the scripture tells us they had three sons they was Cain, Abel and Seth you know about the battle between Cain and Abel we're not preaching that today either and from those three sons if you would billions upon billions of people in the human race have been born of a woman and those women all became mothers even though the pain and sorrow of the delivery of a baby is very intense that's what I hear. I don't. I can't tell you. Though um, throughout history, being childless in some cases in biblical uh, description is even more of a deficiency in a woman without a child than even going through childbirth and having children. Let me give you a couple examples. You know the example of Hannah in First Samuel. Uh, Hannah and her husband actually had two wives. He loved Hannah, and they tried to have children, and she just couldn't have a child. They went to the temple to offer a sacrifice. Her husband gave her what she needed to sacrifice in the temple, gave his other wife and the children what they needed to sacrifice in the temple. When Hannah got there, she was overwhelmed with grief, over nothing more than being childless that lets me know she's looked at that childbearing pain she knew it wasn't nothing she wanted to have a baby so bad she wept at the altar and cried so hard begging God for a child that Eli the priest came over and said hey are you drunk I see your lips moving and making a lot of noise and crying and carrying on. You shouldn't be drunk in the temple. And she had to explain to you, I'm not drunk. I'm brokenhearted because I don't have any children. I'm just expressing my to God for not being able to have a child. Well, uh, furthermore, she did have a child. Actually, within the next year when they came back to the temple, she found out she was pregnant and she was going to have a child. She promised Eli, I'm only going to raise this child till I can wean him and he's on his own. Then I'm going to bring him back here and I want you to raise him in the temple as one of God's servants. Because God gave me this child, I'm giving this child back to God. You know the story about Samuel and he was really a help in the things of God. Then we see uh, the story of Jacob. Jacob, you know what his name is? Israel. And you know how many kids he had? He had 12. And they're known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see throughout the Old Testament the impact of Jacob's children. Now, Jacob um, worked hard to get the wife that he got, but she just didn't have, uh, wasn't able to bear children. Well, she had a a sister that uh, got thrown into the mix and her sister had some children by Jacob but Rebecca couldn't and Rebecca kind of got upset about it so she even gave her handmaid to her husband to have children as I guess you would say a surrogate for her so these surrogates we have nowadays that's nothing new That happened way, way, way back there. And we can read all this in uh, in, uh, 1 Samuel. And and the scriptures tell us all about those things. Or even before that, when uh, Joseph and uh, uh, Benjamin were born, they were the last two of the 12 tribes of Israel that were born uh, during that time. And If uh, memory serves me right, I think she died giving birth to, Be- to Benjamin, her second child. Well, we can roll on over into the New Testament. In the first chapter of Luke, we find a woman who was a priest's wife named Elizabeth, who was childless. And it tells in the scripture of the shame. She was so embarrassed, she didn't want to go to the mall. She didn't want to go shopping. She didn't want to go to the salon. She didn't want to go anywhere because everybody made fun of her because she didn't have any children. She was getting up in years. And they had went to Jerusalem. Her husband was a priest doing the duties in the temple as a priest is supposed to do. While he's in there, an angel appears to him and said, I've heard Elizabeth's prayer. Your prayers are answered. You're going to have a child. Of course, uh, he didn't really buy into the story. Well, we're really too old. We're beyond uh, the age of having children. And, of course, uh, the stigma of not having children was a haunting time for them. But they left there, and when he left the temple, the angel said, Since you didn't believe me, I'm not going to let you speak until the child's born. He came out of the temple and probably had all kinds of motions and hands and tried and could nothing come out. No noise could be made. And, of course, we find out later they were the parents of John the Baptist in the New Testament. Also, we find in Luke, the first chapter, where Mary... Gave consent to the angel Gabriel herself to be the mother of Jesus, God's only begotten Son. And every, even um, she was confused when she found out that this miracle birth would be the only one that's ever done by the earthly woman and a heavenly father, a virgin. Birth. It was confusing to her when she told was told she was going to have a son, because how how's that work? I've never been with a man. The angel said, We got it covered. Don't worry about it. And it worked out. Actually, it kinda put a crimp in her style for a while because she was engaged to get married. And she had spent three months in another country with Elizabeth, her cousin. John the Baptist's mom and dad she had went to their house for three months she came home pregnant uh, most of us guys um, would think if our spouse or our fiance or however you want to say was gone for three months and came back pregnant um, we'd have some serious questions wouldn't we but the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said back off big boy This one's of God. And convinced him to go ahead and marry Mary, which he did. And she brought forth uh, Jesus Christ into this world. Well, so much for the history of mothers and how special they are. Not only to the children they bring into the world, but in many cases, they're special to God. Do you know that each one of you was handpicked by God To be born of the mother you were born of? Whoa. That's pretty special, isn't it? Amen. So we need to be thankful for what we got from God as a mother. As we stop every year and give honor to the mothers, uh, we have on a designated Mother's Day, once again, we're reminded how special mothers are. Without them we wouldn't even be here. Huh. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But the focus that history shows us seemingly is on the birth process. Mothers are way more important than just incubators and uh, birth apparatuses that bring us into the world. They fill the nurturing... Caring, loving for an innocent child that wouldn't survive without that care. The thing that amazes me the most about motherhood, especially because I'm not one, is the fact that to them it seems natural. When a baby's born, the mother instantly comes into play and the fact that the baby doesn't come with an owner's manual there's no class you can take that tells you exactly how to handle it there's nothing you can do to work out all the issues yet the mother seems to pick up on what needs need to take place in that baby's life amen that's just the way it seems to work out amen along with that Even mothers with more than one child learn very quickly that there's no pattern in the children. They seem to all be different with different needs and different cares. I don't know why that is. If they could just give mothers a a 30-minute class on Saturday before they have their babies, wouldn't everything be great? No, because the children are not all fit in the same categories. Amen. I have to admit, for a mother to face these challenges and survive, to bring a child into this world, to be is very impressive. But once they grow from the stage to stage into a young person, the mother's job is still in force. You never get away from... The cooking, the cleaning, the shopping, the laundry, the training, and on and on and on. It seems to me it would be very exhausting thinking of all that goes on into being a godly, righteous mother. Amen? I say it that way because not all mothers attain that God-given privilege. But they have the, have to answer to God for their actions. But to have a child and that child and mother to bond a relationship to most of us is a very precious and loving thing to see work its way out in their lives. Motherhood Is ever evolving. Amen? Because if not only the children are growing, the family's growing, um, for boys it's one way, for girls it's another way, let alone if there's multiples or even multiples at the same time, such as twins or triplets or God forbid, however many. I did see, I think the record is eight, I think I saw. Is that right? Anybody know of more than eight? Uh, That wears me out. Amen. Well, mothers today fall in many different categories. There are working moms, soccer moms, coaches, housewife. I know at my house they were running the vacuum cleaner this morning at 7.10 while I was in the study. We've got mothers that are vice presidents, mothers that are Supreme Court justices, mothers that are senators, mothers that are representatives, mothers that are governors, and even mothers in the military service that we have in the United States of America. They all wear many different hats. Some go on to achieve great achievements, And some go on to jail for the deeds and actions that they've done. There are all kinds of mothers. Right now in our world, motherhood is in the balance as to whether it's even necessary or not. We had a problem with our Supreme Court this week. Huh. Some blabbermouth whispered a secret that wasn't supposed to be out. Hmm, does that happen? Well, it did. First time in the history of America, but it's America. Now, I got to tell you, there are even countries in the world where we live today that think their leaders think they're overcrowded. They've got too many people to feed and not enough money or not enough food to feed them. So they're doing things to sterilize or to, to practice other uh, ways of uh, even encouraging uh, abortion uh, and different things of different kinds of birth control to ease, if you would, in their mind, the overcrowded situation. Amen? They think too many people lead to too many problems. Amen? And I, I was, the one thing, I, I always did think abortion was wrong, especially for birth control, but I always did think that abortion uh, was something that shouldn't be. I always did consider it murder. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not in charge, and the Supreme Court can do what they want or whatever you want to say. But in our schools, they teach rebellion and promote children now to be tattletales. If your mom and dad do something in the home and you don't like it, tell your teacher. Call 911. Amen. Yeah. Well, I don't agree with child abuse, but there's definitely a lack of discipline in the house of our children nowadays. Amen. As we look around our world, we see a great big mess going on just over the things that we would call. things that should be straightened out at home by a good, strong set of parents over their children. But before I point a bony finger at the world, I gotta look in our spiritual mirror, make sure we see where the churches in our world have let the children down. We need more godly mothers and less government mothers. We need more loving and caring mothers to pass pass the torch to godly living to their children. And again, this is more than just the mother's job. I believe it's everyone's job. They used to say it takes a community or a city or a town to raise a child. Well, I knew one thing, if I cut up as a little boy, and a lot of times, uh, my mom and dad both worked, I pretty much could run, go do whatever I wanted. But guess what? Everywhere I went, there were a set of eyes on me. may not have been moms and dads, but somehow mom and dad found out everything I did. Amen. I guess they were all in the same party line, and that was before cell phones, and they all settled. they got on the... The hatchet line and let everything out that was going on. Amen. Well, today we need to step up. I believe the job of mother, of a mother, can uh, be taken much more of a fulfilling job, but just one person can't seemingly get that job done sometimes. Mom can use a helping hand sometimes because the load can be heavy and wearing and we need to help without being imposing amen And you can be a help to a mother that's struggling without being nosy without being gossipy without being something that uh, tells her all her mistakes and God can help us in these areas sometimes it'll take a little money sometimes it'll take us a little time, sometimes it'll even take a little effort on our part, but if we're steering the children in a right, godly, righteous manner, it would be time, money, and effort well spent, amen, to see a child smile is a great payday, amen, why do you think I tell them jokes, I want to see them smile, amen. There are single mothers that might need some kind of assistance or help. There are sick mothers that might need help from us. Our world is even saturated to a certain extent with orphans or foster children that need help. And at times, even the church, we look around and we seem helpless in taking care of some of those needs. But if I've learned anything from God about mothers, love conquers all. One thing I need to focus on on Mother's Day is our level of of love towards the mothers and towards the children that they're trying to raise. I'm not going to raise your children for you, but I'll probably give them a high five or fist bump with them, and i always greet them with a smile. Amen. Because they are important. They are, we are nurturing the next generation that's going to carry on the things that we have in this world. As a church, we need to reflect the love of God on all the children that come through our doors. No matter how old they are. Amen. You see, the old saying is, you have to grow old, but you don't have to grow up. Amen? And I know there's a lot of grown-ups. They, they appear grown-up, but sometimes they act like kids. But we need to make sure as Christians, as they come our way, we give them the opportunity to grow in the things God wants them to grow to be. God wants the church to play the role of a mother to those that need spiritual nurturing and maturing. We need to go the extra mile to display righteousness to those that don't use it in the world or even see it at home. Paul in Galatians, the fourth chapter, gives us some insight on that. Paul here is giving us an allegory of what took place when he's writing this letter to the Galatians in the fourth chapter and uh, gives us uh, some examples. Let me just read verse 26 and then I'll tell you why he put this in the middle of it. It says, but Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now Jerusalem is a spiritual language for the church. So the church is our mother. Why? The church loves you. Now, who's the church? It's not the building. The building can't love you. But it's the people that walk in the things that Jesus Christ instills in their hearts and lives. They are the ones that are the church. Well, he's given us an allegory here in teaching the Galatian people the difference between what took place in the Old Testament and what takes place in the New Testament. We've turned the leaf. We've got a new page to walk by. In the Old Testament, he refers to us as the two mothers uh, here of Hagar and Sarah, the two mothers. Well, those two mothers, Sarah was the real mother, but she didn't have children. So she gave Hagar her handmaid to her husband to have a child. His name was Ishmael. And of course, he was not the chosen son. So after that there was another one that came along, uh, Ishmael and uh, Jacob. So we find it not sorry, not Jacob. Uh, Abraham had two sons. Isaac. I said, I got to get my wheels rolling. So when he had Ishmael and Isaac, who got the the rule? Isaac. So we find that those two children uh, are a picture of the Old Testament how it was dealt and the New Testament how it was dealt he goes on to say Mount Sinai was where the old law was given that's where Moses got the Ten Commandments and the new is Jerusalem or Mount Zion is the new uh, portion of this allegory he's given for us to understand what's going on and his conclusion here is that the The church itself. It says, but Jerusalem, which is above, which is the church, not the city, is free, which is the mother of us all. You see, if you're not part of the church, you're part of the world. And if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Amen? Now, we know mothers are special, not only to their families, to their kids, to their husbands, to the church, to the community. They're special to you, they're special to me, they're special to God. And we need to take time to let them know how special they are. So today, if you have an opportunity to make your mother uh, see and know how special you think she really is, take the time, get with her, be with her. Even pamper her and do something that she enjoys. Give her some time. Amen? If she's not where you can get close to her, call her. Make contact with her somehow. Send her a text and let her know how much you love her and let her know you appreciate what she's done for you to bring you to this point. Now, if your mom's already passed, that doesn't excuse us because the scripture says one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother. It doesn't say to honor your father and mother while they're alive. It says to honor your father and mother. And even though they've passed, your job is still to live a way that brings honor to them for what they've done in your life. Amen? So don't give up. You still need to honor them and be the righteous child they'd want you to be, and especially if you think of them on the other side looking back at you. Amen? Because that's when it really matters. If they know you're not doing right on the other side and look back and are disappointed, wow, That's a heavy weight to carry. You see, mothers are special. We need to make them feel special. We need to put forth the effort to let them know how special they are. We need to let them know that we appreciate everything they've done for us. We need to let them know God appreciates everything they go through as a mother. Amen? Now, I realize that our world has all different kinds of mothers, but each one of them was handpicked of God to bring a child into this world, and that child is special in God's eyes. No matter how it turns out or how it rolls out, God was instrumental in all of that. He's busy. I think right now we're between 4 and 5 billion people in the world. Hmm. And God picked every one of them out. Yeah pretty easy for him. It's tough for me to even comprehend it. But God loves the mothers that have taken the time to bring the children into this world for them to have the opportunity of knowing God the way God designed them to know him. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let us